Welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. We started Someone to Tell It To in 2012, and all along, our philosophy has been to listen. Because our mission is to cultivate meaningful connections through compassionate listening and to train others to do the same, we thought it might be best to highlight both aspects, listening and training in a podcast. Both listening and training continue to catalyze this global listening movement where someone's voice is being heard, someone is being reminded that they matter, and someone doesn't need to feel alone in whatever they are facing. We will be posting two episodes each month to start. One will highlight training because we can all benefit from learning how to become better listeners. The second will highlight how listening has played a vital role in an individual's journey. We are so excited to share these rich conversations with you. We've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what to call the people we listen to. You know, are they clients, friends, storytellers? Nothing quite fit. So we wanted a name that represented the type of relationship we try to build and the way we value those we listen to. But the fact is we struggled. We struggled to find a single word that could accomplish what we realized, what we needed. So in the end, we were surprised to find the answer that was staring right at us. Someone. Someone with a story to share. Someone who needs a friend. Someone who is grieving, angry, lonely, afraid, or has questions about matters of faith. Someone who simply needs someone to listen. We always hope to establish a mutual relationship between friends who are sharing life's journey together. So that means that you are someone. You have a story worth sharing. You have inherent worth. You deserve to be seen, heard, and known. It also means that we are someone. We have stories of our own. We value knowing, showing up and listening and compassion. We want everyone to know the joy of engaging in meaningful relationships. You'll see us using this refreshed terminology from now on. And when you see it or hear it, we hope it makes you smile. You are someone. Five years ago, this coming week, we received this email. Good afternoon. My name is Michael Carragon and I work in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. My supervisor passed the someone to tell it to rack card onto me. In a nutshell, my marriage is on life support. After years of unchecked codependent related issues, my wife was the brave one to suggest that we separate for a season. I was diagnosed with cancer in December of 2010 and have been cancer-free since 2011. My mother, who lives in New York, recently went through a tough battle with breast cancer and is cancer-free. My dad passed away on December 16, 2013 from pancreatic cancer. My wife's mom, who is very ill with COPD since I met her in 98, passed away in July. My coworker and I went to the home of one of our students who had not shown for class for a few days. We found him dead on January 10th. I wanted to mention the season of trauma that we had just been through. 
We believe that there are undealt issues in our marriage have now come to the surface. Not sure where to go from here. Thanks for letting me share. Don't feel like it was a coincidence that my supervisor handed your card to me after I mentioned to her that my challenges continue to escalate. Prayers and insight welcomed, Michael. So today, we'd like to invite two someones to share their story. They're Michael and Rebecca Carrigan. So Michael and Rebecca, welcome. Good morning to you. The first question is to you, Michael. You know, as you hear these words that you wrote five years ago, how would you describe that person who wrote those words back then? Well, I guess that um, looking back, and happy five-year anniversary, by the way, <laughs> um, someone who uh, obviously was extremely hurt, who was in the abyss of depression and just needed to be numb to survive to survive another day and um, even with you know just having strong faith component in my life a great support system i was absolutely nothing less than on life collapse mode um, due to this complex trauma can you remember as you think back uh, what it felt like you know to express those feelings to two complete strangers man thinking back i i wasn't sure um, why i took that risk and reached out um, again i was i was sad and very scared um, I had been in counseling, which, which was helpful, had some uh, mentors and wise people, but it, always, it just felt like there was something that was to this, uh, getting that card and talking to my supervisor, and, and I, uh, I felt like I had nothing to lose by doing it and sent that email. I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but I felt like it was time to take a risk. And then after having shared those feelings and then getting a response, what did that feel like? Well, actually I was greatly surprised because it was such a prompt response and um, I had just sent the email. I can remember back sitting there right on my laptop and being able to send that out and seeing this back and getting words like, thank you for reaching out to us. Uh, we, we're so sorry for what you're going through. That empathetic tone, it felt safe to me. And one of the staples that someone to tell to Michael and Rebecca is that we meet individuals in environments that are safe and comfortable to be able to process your story. And why was that helpful for you? Uh, it, was, it was so, so helpful. Um, I extremely appreciated the uh, sort of welcoming rhythms, you know, that our emails uh, felt to me. And uh, as you guys remember, it took me a few correspondences just because of, again, being in this dark place, this lonely place, this, this, hopeless place to have the energy to meet in uh, in person and you guys were really patient with that you know being non-conversive and uh just sort of like a gentle sequence of of uh interaction coming back and forth communication that led up to that so it was very helpful to know that i wasn't being rushed or forced and i, I really sensed like i said even in my 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 weighty heart that you were genuine in, in those responses well, thank you yeah and we started meeting you, as you remember, uh, every week, just about every Friday afternoon, usually the last thing that we did before the weekend. Um, you know, and we met at the very same coffee shop for several months. And every week, your demeanor, if you remember, was basically the same. Are you able to describe that person and that demeanor that you had during those weeks and those months? I think that it felt like, again, in that state of being numbness or wanting to be invisible, it felt like the minutes were like 
hours and they just time stood still in that way and I was really overwhelmed with the sense of hopelessness and um, even remember writing out my feelings and and sort of process before I came to you guys because I would sit with you guys and how many even though I talk a lot you know generally I I couldn't say anything so I came and, and after writing out those those feelings and my process I had you guys either read it to me in person or just read it and you guys was, was still there after my crazy <laughs> thinkings and um, dark sort of reveals of my heart at that time. I really didn't feel like talking that much and that was helpful again just to have that. Yeah, we remember actually that there were many periods, uh, extended periods of times where the three of us would sit there and nothing was said mm-hmm. that because it was so difficult for you to talk, to know what to say or how to process it and express it. And we hope that was beneficial too, just to have someone sit with you in the midst of that. Um, and what was most beneficial to you during that time? I think this, um, can, the consistency of it, again, just your immediate, like we want to just love on you and be your friend, best friends. You guys, you said, you know, this isn't any money that we want or anything like. You guys even bought me coffee. Um, you urged, you urged that. Um, this, this, I felt like again, just this immediate sense of trust, uh, the presence sitting, sitting with me in, in a very, very, very lonely and dark, um, hopeless place. But the listening piece too, even when I did utter or wrote about things, it was done with such discernment and, and such extreme compassion that started to really just send some shards of light towards my very, very dark heart at that time. And then all of a sudden, if you remember, a new day was dawning. You were offered a potential job opportunity on the West Coast, about as far away from Pennsylvania as possible. And it was almost symbolic, if you can remember. I think we texted you and you asked if we could meet at a different coffee shop. And you came in and your whole demeanor had shifted. You were smiling, you seemed excited, yet anxious, hopeful, maybe yet reserved. And together we made the decision that it would be best for you to at least fly out for the interview. After all, they were paying for you, right? And uh, you were offered the chance to get away. So it was worth taking that risk. And then you texted us when you were out there and said that the interview had gone well. And you returned and we met up again and you said, guys, I think I'm going to go for it. So a new day was dawning and light was returning. And then something happened two weeks later that would change your life. What happened? Yeah, it was a, a great assessment, by the way, of that time as uh, looking back, you know, and just uh, so thankful this morning to be sitting here talking to you guys about it today. But, um, you know, taking that risk and going out and talking with you and a couple other key people, you guys and a few key people, um, you know, didn't want to go and just do the geographical cure um, again. I don't, uh, going through a divorce and uh, it just, it was heartbreaking at all levels. And uh, my support system was either mostly in Pennsylvania and uh, some in New York. So here it is going out there with, to the West Coast and uh, had to really just check my thinking and, and have the urge. You guys say you're permission givers. You don't tell us what to do, but you give us permission to be able to take good risks. And I'm glad I did it. So two weeks later, New town, new job. One person who I knew through a work relationship that hired me, um, I decided I knew for me it was going to be vital to be a part of a church because of my faith. 
So I uh, had a church that I was going to go to, and uh, that week I sat in someone else's pew, and uh, things changed. Okay, so this is where we're going to uh, ask Rebecca to talk. <laughs> so, Rebecca, you uh, were that person who Michael met in church that morning, two weeks after he arrived uh, in Oregon. I was. Um, what was that moment like for you when you met him? Um, it was very interesting because um, when I met Michael, I um, I just kind of, I don't know, I... I didn't know him. I didn't didn't know anything about him, but he just gave me a smile, and and um, I actually met him right before he sat in my pew. We we I was throwing away my tea, and he was throwing away his coffee, and um, our eyes met, and he just had a very warm, welcoming look about him. And then, sure enough, when I went to sit down, he was sitting in my spot. <laughs> Let it be said too that I was not looking to meet any women or anything like that or pick anybody up. It's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> we know that, and probably neither of you were looking for that. I mean, you know, that's didn't we're not expecting. That. No, that she wasn't be. looking for me. <laughs> no, no, we were not. <laughs> that's pretty emphatic from her side, huh? And we remember uh, what you told us, Michael, her first line was to you. And, you know, then, you know, while she when she found you sitting there and say, hey, you're sitting in my seat. <laughs> you know? um, if, uh, we, we, we love that. Um, so uh, we can laugh about that. But previous to that, Rebecca, you had your own share of heartache, you know, your own heartbreak. And would you like to tell us a little bit about your story and, and your background before you met Michael? Sure. So I was raised on the Central Oregon Desert, which um, looks pretty much like the moon. So it's about as different from Brooklyn as you can get where Michael was raised. Um, <clears throat> so out there, I met my first husband. Um, we, we met on the school bus, actually, when we were in high school. And um, he, was, he was a hardworking farm kid. And... Um, we fell in love and decided to get married. I was 18. He was 21. Um, and he, he, he was a farmer. He had a farm. He worked very, very hard. In fact, he was always at work, um, which was a, a challenge for me. We had three kids together. Um, and then when our kids were 10, 14, and 16, he was uh, hit by a pickup and uh, killed instantly. And... Um, I was left with a farm I didn't know how to run and three shattered children and really it affected the whole tiny community we were in. Um, everyone was just kind of in shock and um, it was a really, really rough time. And so I decided that, that my kids needed to be my priority and I decided um, that, I, that I wouldn't date um, until after they were grown up. And so I'd been a widow for five years when I met when I went, met Michael, and both my sons were in college, and um, my daughter was still still at home. Um, and I there were a lot of challenges in that time. Uh, my husband had passed away. Um, I my both my sons were involved at separate times in life threatening accidents. Um, I went through a lot of financial upheaval. Uh, just all the red tape of, of someone dying suddenly who's a business owner and, and dealing with that. And um, there were numerous lawsuits and, and just all sorts of um, continual 
unrest. Um, it was it was a very very difficult time. You two started spending more time together, uh, and I think it was maybe a year or so later we actually got to meet Rebecca face to face. You had been out here on the the East Coast. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Why you had come out to the East Coast? Sure. Um, I had told my daughter, I kind of made a bargain with her, that if she um, graduated from high school a year early, that um, I would take her out to New York City, where she was hoping to attend fashion school. So um, I did a house exchange, and we ended up, she and I, in New York for a year um, to get residency so she could attend school. So uh, I was in New York City, and Michael was still here in Salem um, on the West Coast. And so we spent a lot of time talking on the phone, um, having really good conversations, deep conversations, hard conversations, um, but we, we were apart at that time. And I wanted to meet people who had known Michael for a long time. Um, as our relationship was deepening, I just wanted to, to get to know who he was. And there were these two fellows that he talked about a lot named Tom and Michael. And they came up in conversation all the time. And so I was very excited to, to meet with them. So I, uh, I met Tom and, and Michael in New York. And um, they did what they do best, is they um, asked pertinent questions, and then they listened. And it was um, wonderful to meet you guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So we're going to fast forward a couple of years now. <laughs> and we remember it was a Saturday afternoon in June. Mm -hmm. And, Michael, you texted us. <laughs> I did. And we were um, not surprised by part of the question, but we were surprised by another part of the question. <laughs> so can you, uh, can you share with us what, you, what the text was and, what, and then what you asked us? Absolutely. Again, I'm glad you uh, stated that, that fast forward, because during that period of time, there was so many conversations, including someone to tell it to and other people that were speaking into our lives and helping us uh, press through some wounds and uh, aversions for good reason, you know. And um, that afternoon, uh, yeah, just kind of uh, did the unthinkable and heard the unthinkable. Mm -hmm. I asked Rebecca if she would uh, marry me and to do life together the rest of our lives and uh, to s with the idea that we knew it was going to be hard moving forward and let's do it together and uh, try to bless some others down the way. So she accepted. I don't think it was uh, just a moment of low blood sugar. She actually <laughs> said yes a few times and immediately tested you guys and a few other key people. But I felt very impressed. We felt very impressed. It was obvious. Didn't know if you guys were going to make it or even what our plans were going to be about how to um, have a wedding ceremony. But our uh, big wish picture was uh, to have you standing with us as we made that decision. Uh, there's no way, there's no way outside of Grace to even that I ever thought I would date again. Um, here I am, you know, um, moving towards now marriage. And uh, you guys have been, you guys were my instant best bros mm -hmm. since uh, five years ago. And now I said, would you guys stand with us as we, as we, as we uh, make this official? And you did. <laughs> well as pastors we get asked to do many many weddings but it's not too often that we get asked to participate especially as the best men and so that was such a special day for us to be a part of a truly uh it doesn't get any better for us as as pastors as friends as brothers 
But some days, wouldn't it be nice to just say that you were living happily ever after, after that special day? And we know even up to this very week, life is still challenging. And so can you tell us about some of the challenges you have faced together since being married? Yeah, um, it's been a wild <laughs> ride. Um, so Michael and I, were. our plan was to get married, and then we were going to open a... Um, a kind of a respite house for for um, missionaries and Christian workers in um, Northern California. We were going to have a bed and breakfast, and just have a place where people could get away. Um, we had both been through such serious life challenges, and we knew how exhausting um, and lonely that could be. And so we wanted to extend what what had been given to us, and and have a safe place um, to listen. Um, something that we learned from you guys. Um, so we, uh, Michael gave notice at his work uh, that he was going to be leaving and I put my house up for sale and we packed up and we had goodbye parties and we were ready to leave. We were to move into our house um, in Northern California on October 1st and we had this paper signed and everything was ready to go and on September 30th, I got a phone call uh, saying that the money had not arrived, and we found out uh, that we had been victims of wire fraud. And so um, our entire nest egg, so to speak, that had gone to the purchase of that house uh, was gone. So that was, um, that was quite a challenging thing to hear two months into our marriage. Uh, <laughs> so we... Um, we kind of didn't really know what to do, so we, we went ahead and, and went down to California to see if we could try to figure out what to do and how to make things work um, through many conversations with the FBI and the police and even the Secret Service and everybody we could think of. Um, we finally got a hold of somebody um, at the FBI who was interested in our case, um, and he was able to track down and, and seize uh, about 70% of the money we had lost. Um, the other 30% was, was gone. It had been taken out in cash and was already gone. Um, so we knew that we would get that back eventually, but we didn't know how long that would take. <laughs> so, um, and Michael had quit his job, so uh, both of us were unemployed. Um, it, was, it was a real challenge. Um, so we moved many times, uh, eight altogether just moving um, from place to place, living um, in places that people very kindly provided for us while we were waiting for our funds to come back. And um, about a year, exactly a year after our money had been stolen, we got the 70% back and were able to get into a house. Um, and so now we have a, a beautiful place to live, um, but it's not, not the idea that we had to begin with. Um, Michael is back working at his job that he had uh, when we left. They, they had a position open up, and he was able to, to get back, um, back to working for Union Gospel Mission. Um, and so that's, that's been a challenge. And then our other challenge is— Thank you for um, sharing. See. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, another challenge has been um, my daughter, who was living in New York City— um, going to college there, she um, suffered a traumatic brain injury in February. So 
um, she has had to move back home with us um, in order to to heal and to convalesce. So we'd been married about five months when when that occurred. So we've had some some major um, challenges <laughs> uh, in the last several months. And then even up to this week, Michael, you've had some challenges recently. Could you share what those were? <laughs> yeah, I, I some um, most recently just a, a health challenge. Um, I had right before Christmas, uh, two days before Christmas, had gotten very ill. Um, not sure if it was the flu. They still, the doctors still aren't sure what caused it, but I had gotten very ill and fainted. And um, when I fainted, I, I, I greatly bruised my face, uh, broke four of my front teeth. I looked like an out of shape old hockey player. <laughs> and um, since then have been uh, through oral surgery, dentists, and, and just, um, Trying not to smile so much as I did in the past, but uh, I, the good thing, if uh, if anything of this in, in this craziness is, uh, you know, it wasn't an aneurysm or something like that. So we're on the road to recovery. It's going to be a long one, but certainly a setback in many ways, financially, phys- you know, just physically, and just uh, you know, it always beckons and calls. Okay, what next? And I don't want to continue to go down that line of thinking. Just trying to be grateful today, but it's been hard. It's been crazy, and as many of our listeners, you know, will know, and, and our friends, man, it's just uh, no one's exempt from the hardships of life, and uh, how do we deal with that? Who do we have to deal with that with us? And thank you guys for that. It's been a year and a half since you've been married, and it's been, it has been a, a, a wild ride, hasn't it, for, uh, for both of you? Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes. To say the least. To say the least. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to say the we, least. Uh, I remember calling you. Um, Michael and I put you on speakerphone and called you right after our our money had gone away, and we said, "Guys, you're not going to believe this." And so we told you <laughs> what happened, and there was just sort of stunned silence on the other end of the phone. I don't know how long it took you guys to get words together, but it took a while. <laughs> <laughs> We've listened to a lot of stories and seven and a half years and that was something we could never even have imagined no and sometimes there just aren't words you know yeah. there aren't there are yes. words <laughs> that we yes. know to say yeah michael i want to ask you um you know since all of this since that first email that you that you wrote us five years ago you know what are some of the greatest lessons you've learned yeah i uh wow um i think of right away just as we were talking about um the significance, the huge significance of having you guys here at a wedding and also during my first meeting with you guys and all the different uh, presence times uh, that we had together. I think about how the, the lessons weren't in theory. I mean, we can read books. We can, you know, I love all that stuff in theory, but they were, they were, the lessons were, were learned and continue to be forged in the experiential realm. And uh, especially in the context of safe, healthy, unconditional relationships, especially in those seasons of tribulation, uncertainty, uh, overwhelming circumstances, man, they're just just so crucial. So uh, when we first met uh, earlier in the podcast, I had mentioned about some of the things that were so uh, impactful to me was the consistency, the safe and healing environment, the trust that was established, the patience that you guys had being fully present with me. And then I think about at the wedding, those same things were there. And you guys, I know, 
<laughs> I have to say this before your listeners that I know it, it was honored to have you guys there and you guys made every effort to come out here. But I also know that was a great, great um, cost to that trip in terms of coming out and your families and all the other people that you ministered to. But to be able to do that and to be there with me, that was the greatest thing. How much that means, that ministry of presence. You know, I know we both read a lot of Henry Nowen and and just to talk about that, you know, the, the, just that, that ministry of presence that he, he's alluded to in his writings. And, man, you guys modeled that. So that was the greatest lesson, if anything. It wasn't anything I learned in college. or You know, those things are great tools. But it's like that whole adage of uh, people don't know how much you... People don't know how much you... Don't care how much... Don't care how much you know until you know how much I care. And you guys model that, yeah. yeah. And Rebecca, we're going to ask you a very similar question. I mean, what are what are you continuing to learn about yourself that might be an encouragement to others who feel as if life is simply too much to bear? Um, well, what I'm learning is is that you know you just get up every morning and you just show up. Um, some days, yeah, it does feel like life is too much to bear. But um, what I've learned is you just keep going. <laughs> um, you get up, you show up, and life continues to happen. You feel like it's over, but it's not. And every day, there's good things about the day, there's bad things about the day. But, um, you know, Michael was talking about, about presence, and that's, that's kind of what I've learned is, is you just get up, you show up, you're present to others, but also present to your life. And, um, and just continue you know obviously your story just like everyone's story is unique to you none of our stories are ever exactly the same you know it's our story your story but for those who can see parallels in your story and theirs what would you want to say to them you know what what's been most helpful uh, for for you throughout throughout your story you know and what has been most unhelpful you know, you, you know, you can answer both of those questions, um, either of you or both of you, if you'd like. Um, I would say that um, when my husband passed away, someone told me, you are going to need to tell the story much longer than anyone's going to want to listen um, as, a, as a way to process grief. And I believe that whatever trials we're going through, we need someone to listen. We need to talk them through. But in our culture, uh, we're tempted to just hide. And people say, how you doing? And you say, oh, good, everything is good. Because people don't genuinely want an answer to that question. <laughs> people don't want to know that, you know, I, I've been crying all day or that, you know, I feel um, unable to, to move forward in any way. And so um, to, have, to find those people in your life who will genuinely listen and who asked the question, how are you, and, and really want to know, has been incredibly helpful. There's been a lot of things that people say that aren't helpful, and some things that you just can't believe someone actually said that. <laughs> mm. So uh, um, something that I would recommend, just sit with them and listen. And if they want to talk, let them talk. And if they don't want to talk, don't make them talk. Just, just sit and be present. Um, that's, that's what's needed at that time. So that's something I've learned. Um, I've also learned that, that, um, in my relationship with Michael, it's much easier for both of us to just sort of 
hide throughout these hard times, but we are trying really hard to continue to um, provide that listening for each other, to, to provide compassionate listening, um, which also means that we have to trust each other enough to open up and be honest when maybe we'd rather just find it easier to to not say anything at all. So mm -hmm. to um, to continue to communicate with each other, to continue to take those risks, um, and to just continue to speak the truth and love to each other. It's, it's very difficult, um, and it's easier not to, but it's vital um, to getting through these hard times together that we actually do it together. Yeah. And um, again, having people in our lives who can um, hold us accountable for that and who can um, ask how are you doing um, and, and really be wanting to know the answer. And, and if they get back a fine, we'll follow that up with another question, you know, instead of just letting us brush them off, you know, that way. So um, both Tom and Michael, both of you guys are, are that for us. You, um, you ask the hard questions, but we also have to have the courage to give true answers, which is, which is something that I have learned and that's been really hard. And I just add to that quickly is that um, I remember uh, one of our first inter interactions at that coffee shop um, in the season of extreme comfortably numbness to reference Pink Floyd, <laughs> nice. uh, that uh, you guys were, you guys had given, I couldn't read anything. I mean, again, just, uh, I was weighed down with, with depression and not sleeping and, and uh, you gave me a book. You said, just try to read a little bit of this. And that book was by Tim Madigan, who was your guest last week. And I think back of that, I think of just the title, the title and the theme throughout that. And you guys said that to me. You said, I'm proud of you. And during that time, you know, I had been in ministry. I had uh, served other people. I had these uh, unreal expectations about m what ministry is, which, which were really compounding my shame at that time. I was a, co I was a, a co-contributor to, to the destruction of a marriage. And I'm sitting there and you guys are telling me you're proud of me, you know? And um, so that was, I needed to hear that. I didn't believe it. It was a quick, you know, reject from the heart posture. But eventually, that, that is one of my favorite phrases that really impacted my life. And by virtue of you guys sitting with me, giving me that book. And uh, hearing Tim Madigan last week was, was awesome to, to be able to just sort of continue to glow the embers of my heart with that. Because I hear that and it's just no matter what day I'm going through, I hear you guys saying it. I hear Mr. Rogers saying it, you know, just, but more importantly, I hear my Heavenly Father saying, I'm proud of you. And I I'm starting to believe mm -hmm. it. One of the things that we love the most about you two is that you have a, a strong sense of humor. And we've laughed together so many times at the madness of it all. And uh, why is that so important? The genesis of our relationship together and with Rebecca, of course, coming in and uh, we knew right away that, again, that this is, life is hard. We weren't, you know, we're, we're older, we're not naive, we had both been married before, we didn't have this uh, whole, sort of hallmark channel approach to life is going to be great and no problems and, and we're going to be together and we can get through everything. You know, we, we, we knew that hardships were inevitable, we didn't think they were going to happen six weeks after we got married like that, but uh, so, you know, with that understanding, sort of like we know that life is insane in the membrane, <laughs> Uh, believe me, a lot of tears and, and pain in there, but just being able to have that time, just like I'm doing now, just starting to laugh a little bit and 
enjoy and just say, you know what? At the end of the day, man, this is crazy and it might continue to get harder. Who knows? I mean, we're hoping these things get resolved. And But at the end of the day, man, you know what? We're okay because we have people in our lives. So we have another day here today and trying to just keep that gratitude list going. So the laughter piece is, is so humongous. It's annoying when you're not feeling good and people are laughing around you. But when you're starting breaking through and laughter, I, I think it's really redemptive. And I do love that about Michael is he always has ways to make me laugh. Yeah. He had he has ways to make us laugh too. And we, we really appreciate that. And yeah. Yes. <laughs> when I take myself seriously, right? That's when it's the biggest thing. Okay. So so you know, we really value the fact that you uh are courageous enough to share your story like this very publicly. Um we know that there are these normal butterflies you know, and, and anxieties when you when you do something like this. Uh, not that our audience is millions yet, but, but it will be. But what, um, why is that important to do? Why did you say, yes, we'll tell our story? Yeah, I think one of the, one of the uh, again, little phrases that I've heard growing up and just in recovery circles and stuff is, you know, to keep it, we got to give it away. And before that, this is an honor and privilege. And, and you know, on one hand, to be free enough and to be, uh, to, to, to be anchored enough to share about our brokenness. I mean, this is like anti-resume stuff. You know, we're not sharing all the compliments. We're talking about all these things that, you know, necessarily we're not proud of and things that, that have happened to us or we've contributed to the breakdown of and then crazy life events. So, you know, having you guys... Um, just with us and especially things that are unresolved, um, listening to us and even listening together in silence, you know, that safe and healing environment, which is so transformative, man, just that togetherness, um, it's, it's just so pivotal for us and continues to be in our life. So Michael and I have, um, between the two of us, we have quite a variety of experiences, <laughs> um, and a variety of, of really, um, a lot of pain, but we feel like if we can transform that pain into um, help for somebody, encouragement for somebody, um, that somehow that that gives us um, hope to get through mm -hmm. uh, the hard things and to try and um, encourage people in the way that we have been encouraged. So we um, we really want to transform these experiences into something that that can be useful and beneficial to other people um, along their life because everyone has hard days everyone has hard times one of our favorite comments we know that your story is actually in our second book uh, someone to tell it to move with compassion and uh, one woman who's an elderly woman here locally had read our first book and I remember she wrote me a message privately on Facebook and she said, I just finished your book and it just reminded me that I'm not such an oddball after all. And uh, we really love that comment and that meant a lot. Just again, uh, the willingness to be vulnerable and open and to share stories. If it provides inspiration to somebody else, then it's worth it. And uh, I know Michael, as Michael and I, as we wrote some of those stories, which were very vulnerable in nature, we remember saying to each other, without our brokenness, what do we actually have to offer people sometimes? You know, one of the things that we talk about often in our work is the preventative nature of listening. Maybe you could talk just briefly about uh, that and, and some 
crises that may have been averted um, because people showed up and cared. Yeah, I think some of the stigma of, you know, if people knew this about me, they wouldn't love me or, you know, that uh, this whole idea, especially today in our culture, sort of, of, you know, don't let them see you sweat, you know, being able to put just this face on, whether it be on social media or in person and I'm fine kind of thing, you know, that's still prevalent in our society. I think that um, the things that have been so beneficial and of, of averting a deeper level of loneliness and despair and hopelessness for me has been, uh, you know, that idea of being able to, in the right time, be encouraged um, to, to take that risk and close your eyes sometimes and say, hey, here's something that is just, I don't even want to tell anybody, I swear it would be easier for me to take this to the grave. But knowing that thing, knowing that the people sitting before you, like someone to tell it to, and having those people in your life that you can take that risk and they're still going to be there. And they're gonna they're gonna be right with you, whether it's uh, consoling you with a hug or just 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 um, looking into your eyes right after, uh, dispelling that shame, you know, that empathy, and that's been so pivotal. Um, being able to to have those experiences, you can talk about these things again in theory, but until you're in that dark space, and I, and, and uh, both Rebecca and I know what it's like to be in that dark space, but. The catalytic event of being able to uh, take that risk, share that thing in the right time, in the right moment, that's what I believe is most preventative from continuing the downward spiral and just uh, keeping yourself so insular, isolated, and just bottled up for years of years more of or season more of depression. I, I think for myself, um, like Michael's saying, um, I was very good at, at putting on a mask and just hiding how I felt um, about things. And I would, I, I would tell myself, oh, I'll deal with that later or I'll talk about that later or whatever. Instead, I would just stuff it and, and put on this pretty mask. Um, but then I felt so unloved because nobody can love a mask. Um, they can only love a true person. And so when you take the risk to step out from behind that mask and say, this is who I am, this yeah. is who I really am, that's, that's the only time that you can really be loved because if, if the people don't know you, how are they supposed to love you? And I have found that taking a risk with safe people, um, I have found that I can be loved, that I am worthy of love, um, warts and all. And, and to share that, um, there's, there's such freedom in that. And um, yes, it does prevent uh, continuing to live a very lonely life. We have just one more question for you uh, before we end. You have both been through a lot. There's no doubt about it. We, we know the, the intimate uh, depth of your story and we know that there's been a lot of loss, a lot of pain, a lot of uh, brokenheartedness. Would you change it all? Is there anything about it you would change, and and why, or or why or why not, or is, or is having been through it, you know, given you something that, that you're just so grateful for today? So you know that there's a probably a lot of facets to that answer, and even to the to that question. But uh, is is there anything you, in closing, that you'd like to share about what you've been through and and what it's meant? Absolutely. I mean, of course, I, I, I would I would change uh, things if I could. 
which I know I can't. Um, especially the pain I, I caused others throughout my life, you know, the hurts that I've um, caused others and endured myself uh, for other reasons, just uh, growing up in a broken place and struggling with addiction early on and, uh, you know, being parts of, of, uh, of life, uh, going through a divorce, like I said, uh, having terminally ill. There, there's things in, in seeing the, cl the people closest to me go through things, of course, if I had the ability to change things. But however, just to sort of... Uh, balance that on the fulcrum, you know, honestly, today, I'm learning even more so. Um, something I learned early in, in recovery, too, is, you know, gratitude list. Uh, today, I can honestly say thank you. I can honestly thank you. Again, um, there's some things in my life I know I can never be okay on a cerebral level. Um, I understand forgiveness because of my faith and have a very supportive wife, extremely supportive wife, an understanding wife, and, and also people like, like yourselves. But, um, Yes, I, uh, it, it, the painfulness of life. I think um, just uh, in, in closing before I let Rebecca share, it's, you know, one of our favorite authors is, uh, is, is Brennan Manning, who uh, you guys had given me a book by him too, which is Abba's Child, which has been catalytic in my life as well. And he, and he says, you know, in love service, only wounded soldiers can serve. So as a result of all these things, it wasn't anything about school or any of my great talents or things that I thought that I set out in life. It seems like God's using those things in my life that I would have never wanted to talk to anybody about and those wounds as they're being healed up to be a wounded healer to others. And that's our hope. That's our hope is to be able to, to, be able to encourage others or just sit with them at a coffee shop somewhere when they can't talk, um, whatever. And um, I thank you guys for modeling that for me. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with Michael that uh, there's a lot of things that I would change if I could, um, but um, like he's mentioned, our faith, and we, we trust and we believe that um, God redeems mm -hmm. all the brokenness. And so even though I would prevent the brokenness if I could, um, I also believe that, that God will take all of these things that are broken in our lives and that he will redeem them and he will um, make something um, beautiful out of them that uh, could not have happened. And I also think that uh, until you walk through those things, you don't realize that, that it's possible. Um, so many people have said to me, I could never go through what you have gone through. Um, but God gives you the grace to go through those things when he asks you to do them and not before. And so now when these times come, um, I'm not as afraid because I, I have experienced hardship in the past and I know that I've been given what I need to go through it. So um, I'm grateful for the lessons learned and I'm grateful for um, the craziness of life and as Michael and I are always telling each other, well, at least we're not bored. <laughs> That's <right. laughs> yeah. That sense of humor again. <laughs> well, you guys are such an inspiration to us and to everyone else who knows you and anyone else who is listening today. You truly keep on keeping on. And you humble us by your faith, your courage, your strength, your perseverance and your unconditional love. So we are 
grateful for you and grateful that you were willing and able to share your story today. Thank you. What a complete honor. And yeah, thank you guys. I mean, seriously, to have this conversation here early in the morning on the West Coast and you guys being, there's no way this would have happened unless uh, we really believe that card that I got from my supervisor wasn't uh, supernaturally given to me. And um, we're so thankful for you. And we know, again, uh, just even with, with, with everything going on in your own lives, that same urgency of like, hey, keep us posted or what's going on or if we're going through something, you guys are man, right on the spot, um, you know, being willing to come out here and meet up with us whenever we're on the East Coast. Uh, we can't wait to see you guys again because to me, that's, the, that's one of the most safe feelings I know this side of uh, eternity. So thank you so much for that. And you two are our best men. Best bros. <laughs> well, if you'd like to learn more about someone to tell it to, or if you need someone to tell it to, we invite you to reach out. Uh, you can find our website, someone to tell it to.org. So thanks for being with us today, and we look forward to having you join us for our next podcast. <laughs>